Hey there, Heritage family. I want to welcome you, whether you're here at Rock Island, joining us from our Bettendorf campus, the Manikiwani, maybe tuning in online, or perhaps a member of our Vita Nueva family just leaning into the next part in our More Together journey. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. This is a pretty big weekend for us as a church. We're celebrating life change in, in baptism, which is always cool. We're worshiping together, but we're also culminating the conversation around our More Together journey, which has been a a process of understanding where God has led us and where he's leading us next with a foundational understanding that no matter who we are, where we've been, even where we're at, God has more for us. He has more for each of us. We know that because we know he has a purpose and a plan for each one of us. It's one to give us hope and a future. We know that because he can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We also know that because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what he has prepared for those who love him. But one of the foundational realities that help us understand that there is more for each one of us is the simple reason that Jesus came. He himself said, John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come that they may have life and life to the full, have it to the full, abundant life. And the reality is that Jesus came, that reality that he came that we would have life and life to the full tells us that there is yet more for each one of us. Wherever you've been, wherever you're at right now, whatever you've done, Whatever you have of him, whatever you know of him, whatever you've experienced of him, there is more. He has more for you. And so we have been in an intentional process of looking at how we live into that more. Looking at the life of Jesus, knowing that he is the source of that full life, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We've been looking at him. We've looked at a couple of interactions. Uh, his interaction with Peter, one of his disciples. We looked at the interaction that he had with a young leader. And today I wanna look at another interaction that'll position us to once again understand how we live into more together, but also individually, and position us to step into a, a more in this next season for us as a church family. But I wanna start by looking at the scriptures. I wanna look at the word of God. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to John chapter six. John chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay. We're gonna throw the scriptures up here on the screen. We also provide a note guide. And this thing is designed to be a helpful tool if you wanna use it as we study the word of God. If God's speaking something to you, you've got an idea you wanna wrestle with with him in prayer, we encourage you to use this. And we even have fill-ins along the way to kind of guide our conversation. And the first of those fill-ins today is simply that giving generously leads to receiving abundantly. Giving generously leads to receiving abundantly. Leads to receiving what? abundantly. Listen, uh, in the context of God, in the things of God, in his purpose and plan, giving leads to receiving. Now, you may not be surprised by that. You may know that already, but I want you to understand that's not a simple exchange. It's not like if we do, then he does moment. It's actually part of a, a process. It's, it's part of a posture, and it actually connects to a principle that we talked about last week. That if we want to experience fruitfulness in our life, more in our life, especially with God, there's an intentional pathway of investment that is part of the journey towards that fruitfulness. We talk about it as the principle of harvest. And you may have heard this before, maybe here last week. If not, you get online and check it out. But nobody lives in perpetual harvest. There's always a process that gets to fruitfulness in life and relationships. And it involves things like this, buying, plowing, planting, watering, and weeding. In a farming context, it makes tons of sense. We know that. But you may not have thought about it in the context of relationship with God, relationship with other people, or even in relationship to the, the more that he has for each one of us. There is an, an invitation to invest, to commit, to care, to tend, a, a waiting space, but that waiting space is not passive, it's active. 
It's a space where we wait on him as we are faithful in, in investing as he calls us. That's the space that leads us to fruitfulness and to, this, to the harvest that he has for us, the more that he has for us in our lives. So as we invest in those dynamics, we're doing so understanding that we serve a God who gives. We serve a God who gives. He, he seeks to offer us more than we have. He seeks to give us more than we've experienced of him. He seeks to lead us into more than we even yet or understand. And it's abundantly and immeasurably more. So with that in mind, I, want, I want to, once again want to lean into a conversation, uh, an interaction that Jesus had. Uh, this one actually is with all of his disciples, the 12. It's with a group of, of people, a pretty large group, but it's also in that group as an individual is willing to risk for more. And out of this conversation, like the others we've looked at, it positions us to know how we individually live into the more that God has for us, and even helps us understand how we do that as a church. So we're going to lean into this. If you have a Bible, you can follow along on your own Bible in John chapter 6. But as we step into the scriptures, I want you to understand the context behind this moment, because it's been a rather busy ministry season for Jesus and his disciples. A bit of a hard space in some ways. Not long before this, Jesus sent out the 12 disciples to teach and heal and move from village to village on their own. And, and they've come back from that. But also right before this, Jesus has learned that his cousin, John the Baptist, has been beheaded. And so there's a sense that in this dynamic, it's not an easy space. It's almost a heavy space, even a hard space for them. Yet they don't really have the ability to pull away and be alone because crowds are chasing Jesus down wherever he's at. They, they've heard about him. They've seen him do miraculous things and they want more. So they're chasing him down in different contexts that they can find him. And that's the dynamic we're stepping into here with John chapter six, starting with verse one. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw miraculous signs as he healed the sick. When, when Jesus climbed a hill, then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Verse 5, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, what's interesting about that thing is that Philip was from the nearby town of Bethsaida. So in a way, it made sense. It's like, hey, Philip, where are the good restaurants that we can get some food? But even as he's saying this, he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Yet Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Jesus said, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And in verse 13, he said, it says, so they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. All right, this is a a great moment with lots of layers and information in it. it. It actually speaks of and identifies one of two miracles that all four gospels record. The only other miracle that all four gospels record is the resurrection. It's this one and the resurrection. And there's some significance to that. I don't wanna to look too deeply into that nor blow by it because it was significant enough that they all included it. But what is, I think at the core of why it's significant is because from sacrifice came abundance. Uh, from sacrifice came great abundance. 
But I want to talk about some of the nuances in the story so we understand how we each can live into more. I told you that this was a busy ministry season for Jesus and the disciples. In fact, this itself was a long day. Uh, Luke, in his account, he says that it was late in the afternoon. It was such a long day, the disciples kind of go up to Jesus and they say, hey, can you wrap up your teaching and send these people home so we can call it a day? <laughs> it was like one of those moments. And, but in that space, Jesus actually sees the opportunity for more, especially based on how many people were there. Because you got to understand something. In Jewish culture, when they counted groups of people, they, they only counted the men. When, when John says that there are about 5,000 men, he, he was, it's actually the equivalent of saying that there's about 5,000 families. This is confirmed in Matthew's account where it says 5,000 men not counting women and children. So really in this dynamic, we're not just talking about 5,000 people. We're, if you have a wife and a couple of kids, we're talking 15 to 20,000 people. Uh, some scholars believe it was 20 to 25,000 people. And whether it's 20, 25, 15, the reality is many theologians say that it was the largest crowd that Jesus ever talked to at one time. So let's just say it's 20,000, give or take. You, you, these two vases, they, they hold 20,000 BBs. We have used and talked about this before. We, we have used this to illustrate the significance and size of our mission field here in our Quad Cities. We, we have said that each BB represents 10 people. Therefore, 20,000 BBs represents 200,000 people. And there are at a minimum 200,000 people in our Quad Cities region who do not walk with Jesus. They do not have life to the full. They're not living in freedom. They don't have hope and expectancy because they understand the love of God in their lives. They don't have Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth, and life. These two vases represent the significance of our mission field, that there is a minimum of 200,000 people that don't walk with Jesus. God's been gracious enough to us that in a handful of years, we've seen 1,600 people step into relationship to Jesus. That's wonderful. We would do what we do even if it was one. But the reality of these 20,000 BBs is a stark reminder of the significance of our mission field and the work that is still ahead of us. It represents 200,000 people or more, but these 20,000 BBs can also help remind us of the significance of what Jesus did in John chapter six. 20,000 mouths to feed is a lot, yet Jesus does it with a first century happy meal because giving generously leads to receiving abundantly. Not just us receiving abundantly, but others who need to receive abundantly. We, we can look at this John chapter 6 moment a couple of different ways. We can look at it as an, an example of how the power of Jesus at work in life meets us in the place of our need. And how what is very simple for him is amazing to us. We could look at it that way. We could also look at it from the perspective of the boy who offered his lunch, I mean, who, who, who offered up what he had, he risked it. And the reality is whatever, when we offer what we have to Jesus, he is willing to use it for more all the time. We, we could focus in on just the disciples and how they kind of wavered in this process where they had eyes to see the need, but they didn't really have eyes of faith to see how they could be part of facilitating and meeting the need. All of those are legit. But at the core of this interaction, at the core of this narrative, in this layered story is the heart of God. Uh, to love, to provide, to care, to bless, to lead to harvest through us. Through us. See, God wants to do more in us than through us and through us than we realize. If we will live and give as he does, that's his heart. He wants to do the miraculous through us. 
one of the most fascinating things for me about this exchange is that this miracle didn't just happen through the hands of Jesus. It happened through the hands of the disciples. It happened in a context where they were positioned to be faithful. And as a result of their faithfulness, Jesus responded to their faithfulness with his. You think about this. At the end, they gathered up how many baskets of leftovers? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Coincidence? I think not. No way. No way at all. This is the, the perfect provision. This is the specificity of a God who understands how to lead us into more and how to provide for exactly what we need. And it's a teachable moment. And I think this is a moment where Jesus is saying, look, when you're faithful to me, I'm faithful to you. In fact, you're tracking the note guide. I think there's a fundamental principle that God responds to our faithfulness with his all the time. He responds to our faithfulness with his. It can come in fish and loaves. It can come through a, a, a small act of obedience. It can come through a bold step of faith or simply putting others first in our journey and how we invest in this world. He seeks to do the miraculous through us through our bold obedience. God responds to our faithfulness with his. He does it with this boy. He does it with the 12 disciples. He wants to do it with you and I. He responds to our faithfulness with his. And I guarantee that boy and these 12 disciples left out of that space with an understanding of how God responds, how Jesus is faithful in responding to our faithfulness to him all the time. But in those spaces, it's not about our sufficiency, it's about his. In fact, Oswald Chambers is one of my favorite theologians. He said that if God put you there, he is amply sufficient. Amen. Isn't it? If God put you where you're at, not a space you've wandered, not a space you should have never gone to, but a space he's put you, even if it's hard, something that, that's challenging, even if it's a difficult space of hardship or loss or, or need or even limitation, if he put you there, he is amply sufficient to do even more. See, I think the disciples, when they saw this go down and like, all right, we're not sure we have no food, but then like Jesus has hang on and Jesus starts to pray over this food. I think they're thinking that he's going to like, boom, suddenly there's a whole bunch of food and everybody's going to have food. That's not how that went down. Jesus took the happy meal. Jesus prayed over it. He blessed it. But then he gave it right back to the disciples. He said, you distribute it. John says Jesus distributed it, but actually it, we're told that Jesus handed it to the disciples to distribute in the other versions of what, what happened in that space. And and it was happening is the miracle didn't happen just through Jesus' hands. It happened through the faithfulness of the disciples' hands. It was multiplied when they gave it away. That, that's, that's significant. Make it really, Sean, is that such a big deal? It's huge. It's huge. Just think about this. If the disciples had taken the little boy's lunch and didn't give it to Jesus first, how far do you think they would have gotten in distributing it to 20,000 people? Shortest buffet ever. Not very far. So they first give it to Jesus. Perfect. Good. That's how it's supposed to go. But what if they'd taken it from Jesus and then instead of distributing it, they sat down and started to eat? Because I'm pretty sure they were hungry too. Been a long day for them. They had needs. They were, they were weary. They were probably hungry. That's not, that's not un unreasonable. What if they had started to eat themselves and not distribute it? Miracle wouldn't have gone the way it was supposed to go. Because in the end, Jesus wanted to do the miraculous through them by asking them to give away what they wanted and even what they needed first. But it had to be given away to be multiplied. He asked them to serve others first. He asked them to forfeit their own comfort for kingdom. And then he proved that he is faithful in responding to our faithfulness, to their faithfulness. The result in them stepping by faith was more. But again, it had to be given away for it to be multiplied. But I tell you, God responds to our faithfulness with his. 
He wants to do that for you and I in every arena of our lives, but especially in how we manage the things he gives us and what he asks us to do. Now, as cool as this whole exchange is, I think the, the beauty of this interaction comes in the perfection of the provision. And when these guys picked up 12 baskets, and maybe they're each holding one basket, or they're sitting around and they're counting, and they're like, oh, I can get that one. Oh, we all have one. That's, that's really cool. That's great. I think in some way, Jesus is saying, look, this is what happens when you give as I give. This is what happens when you step in obedience to me. This is what happens when you follow me. You don't have to worry about some sense of loss in giving. You don't have to worry about some sense of missing out in sacrifice. When you step in bold obedience to me, when you're faithful to me, I respond in faithfulness to you. I think Jesus is saying, in this space, we need to understand that I am able and I am sufficient and I can do more. There's power in what Jesus demonstrated to these guys in this moment. A few verses later, in verse 35, he's going to say, I am the bread of life. He says, I am able, I'm sufficient, I provide more. See, in any opportunity for more, anything you're facing, any dynamic in which God wants to do something more in and through you, it's about his sufficiency, not yours. It's about his power, not ours. It's about his sufficiency, but it's about our obedience, our faithfulness. When, when his sufficiency intersects with our obedience, man, that's where the miraculous happens. That's where more takes place. It happened in this moment for this little boy, for the 12 disciples and 20-some thousand people. And it can happen for you and I and 200,000 people that we're seeking to reach with the good news of Jesus. God responds to our faithfulness with his, always. You know, another way to think about this is that when we give with the right heart, we receive. When we give with the right heart, we receive. God gives to those who give. He has more, but he doesn't give his more equally to everyone. He doesn't. He gives his more to those who will prove faithful with it, to those who will actually water and weed. <laughs> He gives seeds, he gives resources, he gives opportunities to those who know how to plant it in the ground, how to plow the ground, how to, how to invest in a way that leads to harvest. He gives to those who give. The, not those who give to gain, but those who give to honor. Those who give to be obedient and faithful. Those who give even if it means considering, and giving, uh, considering others better than ourselves, giving so that others can go first. It, he gives to those who give. He has more but he gives it to those who know what to do with that more. And when we give with the right heart, we receive. The key is that right heart component. We don't give to gain. Although giving does lead to receiving, we, we give to honor. We give to demonstrate our love and faithfulness. We, we give to say, we follow, even putting others first. And in that space, that's a space of joy. That's a space not out of compulsion or obligation. That's a space where we experience the fullness of what it means to serve a God who gives. In fact, I want to invite you to listen to um, someone that I have seen repeatedly live what we're talking about. Uh, his name is Dion. He and his wife, Jamie, are part of the Heritage family. And, and I have watched them live in a posture where I've seen God respond to their faithfulness in lots of different ways. But I invite you to listen into his story as you process where you're at in your own. Take a look at this. I'm Dion Meyer. My wife is Jamie Meyer. Um, I have two kids, Matt and Christina, and three grandchildren that have attended uh, Heritage Church for the last 16 years. We've been very blessed. Back in 2003, uh, my wife and I uh, were 
talking to my cousin about finding a church that had the heart of Jesus, and uh, they encouraged us to try Heritage Church in Rock Island. And uh, after just a few services, I recommitted myself to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that has changed the course of my family's life, coming to Heritage Church. From the point I started coming to Heritage, I realized that uh, God made us all different and that uh, we're all blessed with different skills. And I uh, prayed on it for a while, and I think uh, mine is uh, generosity. It doesn't mean that you can't try other things and work in other areas. Um, I teach Sunday school, uh, elementary. Uh, my wife and I have done it for about 11 years now, and uh, with the help of Stephanie and others, uh, we're able to deliver the word to, to the children and uh, know about Jesus Christ and dedicate their lives to him, and I watch these kids grow. Heritage Church has really given my wife and I, Jamie, the opportunity to grow in our generosity and through the guidance of the pastors here, through both church expansions, the Bettendorf and the Cone Building. Uh, my wife and I prayed for about a week or two until God gave us an answer on a number. Uh, we never discussed it. Uh, we wrote it down on a piece of paper, and then we shared it with each other, and it was the exact same number. Uh, both times, it was more money than we had, so we nervously wrote the number down, and uh, the Lord provided, and then some. We choose to, my wife and I, to give to Heritage Church uh, because I think their church is, heart is after Jesus. Uh, Heritage Church is where I came back to Jesus Christ and it changed my life. Um, and uh, as long as uh, the focus is on Jesus, uh, Heritage Church is where I'm gonna be and where my financial investment's gonna be. As the future needs of Heritage Church are presented to us, I, I hope that you would go home and pray on it and listen to God's Word. Um, I've uh, tried to listen faithfully whenever God put something before me. Uh, my wife and I pray on it, and then we come to a number, and uh, I've never given a second thought about giving it. Um, it's what God put me here for. Um, I would encourage anyone else that uh, has God nudging their heart to give, to uh, listen to Him, just listen to God. What I'm excited about at Heritage Church coming up in the near future, uh, and I'm already realizing uh, its potential has been a bridge point, and uh, I'm super excited to see the uh, uh, church itself open there, but there's a number of uh, Christian organizations already operating out of the building, and uh, so he has a plan for that building that's bigger than I can dream. Oh, you can acknowledge that if you want. Yeah, you can. Uh, he responds to our faithfulness with his. Always. I love, I love the heart that Dion and Jamie have for the kingdom of God. I love the way they sit in humility before him and just do whatever he says. Because he has more. But he only gives his more to those who know what to do with it, who are willing to invest it the way he calls them, as, as he asks. 
And one of the really dynamic things about this is something that the Apostle Paul said, and this actually isn't in your note guide, it's just up here on the screen. He said, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows abundantly will also reap bountifully. Listen, giving generously leads to receiving abundantly. That we're not talking some kind of prosperity gospel in this. This is a principle of how God works, that he responds to our faithfulness with his and when we sow bountifully, we also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This, this is huge. Our God loves a cheerful giver. Doesn't say God loves a cheerful earner. God loves a cheerful worker. God loves a cheerful giver, and here's why. He is a God who gives, and he calls us to give. He invites us into space to give. He invites us into space to be faithful to him, cheerfully, not out of obligation, not reluctantly, because when we give cheerfully, we step into a space where we receive. We receive joy, we receive satisfaction, we have the pleasure of knowing we're stepping into his joy. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. When we give with the right heart, we receive. The little boy with the lunch experienced that. The 12 disciples experienced that, and so can we. So can we, because he responds to our faithfulness with his but it requires us to be faithful. In fact, Paul said in a different letter to the church in Corinth, he said, now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. This is the position we each sit in because we've all been given a trust. It could be in our time, it could be in our talents, our treasure, opportunities in front of us at work or at home. Each of us have been given a trust. We're, we're a big church. And so we have significant trust that God has invested in us with responsibility in our region. And we've been very intentional to seek to be faithful with that. Not just to be a church that attracts people into spaces like this where we can encounter God, which are beautiful and wonderful, but to be a church that also serves. A church that, that actually invests and influences our region for the glory of God. It, it's part of why we've intentionally lived the way we've lived and moved to be a church for more in lots of new spaces, building bridges, really being a church that creates and holds space for others to encounter the transforming power of Jesus. And God has done a lot, of, a lot through us in our history especially in the last few years, but we're not done. There is more. There is more. We, I love the fact that we have never been more relevant as a church in our cities. It matters to our cities if we're here or not, but that's not an end in itself. That's actually a platform for us in the days ahead to live into the more that God has for us. So we've been having a conversation for a number of weeks around what that more is. We, we provided some materials, we put some stuff online, we've had conversation to say, this is the more that God is calling us to. There are lots of different expressions for what that more looks like. But for us to prove faithful, this is what it looks like. And I know that the best is yet to come for us, that as we step in faithfulness, he will respond to faithfulness to us. This is the more he has for us as a church. And in order to get to more, it will require more. It will require more people willing to risk, more willing, people willing to sacrifice, to pray, and, and to specifically give. And so we have had a conversation around what the more is and how we get to that more. And we've intentionally sat in a space to understand what each of us is being asked by God to offer in that space. In fact, this conversation has been an invitation to step into more individually, but also corporately. To, to step in greater partnership with God as, as God would call you. And the question for each of us remains today, even as we reach the culmination of this more together conversation, is where is Jesus asking you to offer? What is he asking you to offer to see the more he has? Where is he asking you to offer something? Where is he asking you to step with something? What is he asking you to offer to see the more he has? He has more. 
He has more for you individually. He has more for us as a church and more for others around us. And the more he may be asking you to offer may have a direct ripple into thousands, just like the young boy who offered up his meal, his happy meal. What what is Jesus asking you to offer to see the more that he has? Our more together journey has been an invitation to partner towards that more. There's a space in your note guide to reflect on this because I think there is an individual answer, but there's also a corporate response to this. This is not a pressure conversation. This is an invitation and an opportunity to simply do what Jesus asks you to do as someone who's willing to pray and ask him to to step wherever you are into a next, into a more as God leads. That's been the invitation for us, wherever you are to be able to do that. And my prayer is that we would be a church who proves faithful, individually and corporately. That's it. Because he responds to our faithfulness with his. So with all of that in mind, we're going to step into probably the thing I've been most excited about as a church. It's a sacred, special moment for us of worship. We're going to step into a moment where I'm going to invite you to do two things. It's actually one thing expressed in two ways. The one thing is to be willing to do whatever God asks you to do. That's it. To be willing to be faithful and watch him respond in faithfulness to you. There are two ways we're going to step into that. One is a corporate expression. And the corporate expression has to do with us living into the more that God has for us. If you're someone who calls Heritage home, you've been in our more together conversation, which we've been in for over a month, praying for a a month of asking what that would be. You've been in that process and you're ready to step into the next moment to declare that. You're going to have the opportunity to do that in a few moments. If you're someone who's not been in the conversation, maybe you've missed out and this feels like this is out of left field and like a lot. Listen, there's no pressure in this. Certainly opportunity and invitation, but this is about hearing God and doing whatever he says. So if you're not quite ready, that's okay. If you're someone who's visiting here today, like I have the first time I'm here and you're asking me for money, what's up with that? Okay, listen, I'm not. I'm asking you to be faithful to God. You don't have to do this. But if you have a relationship with God, you know how to talk to him, and he's asking you to step and move, I just want you to do that. This is an invitation on two levels. One is a corporate expression for us to step towards the more, and the other is a personal expression for the more that God has for us. In your note guide, and even around your campus spaces, you'll see a post-it note that looks like this. We have a corporate moment as a church that we've been moving towards for over a month, but we also have an opportunity as an individual to simply ask God, what is the more you're asking him for? It could be a personal more in your health. It could be uh, in your workplace. It could be a relational dynamic. But I will encourage you to, con- to, to specifically ask God for one more. Like, the, what is the one thing you're asking God for more of or more in? And to write it down on this post-it note. Because in a couple of moments at each of our campus expressions, wherever you're at, I'm going to invite you to move and to declare your corporate more if you're ready to do that, but also to offer up the question for the more you want God to do in your life and to lay it before him today. It's gonna be a little bit maybe messy and congested as people move into space and, and lay these things down and put them before the Lord, but this is a sacred special moment of worship where we joyfully get to declare. It's something we get to do, not something we have to do. We get to be able to step into this. And my prayer is that you would simply be faithful to what God has asked you to do in each of your lives and your families and as we step corporately and individually as a church. If you're someone who's online, I want to encourage you to take part in this and just go to moretogetherqc.com and you can declare your more there. If you're someone in our spaces, not ready. You're like, I don't really understand we were doing this today. 
Take the time to talk to God. Get online. Look at the information that's there on this website and simply engage from that point forward. We as a church get to step with God into reaching thousands, if not tens of thousands of people for him. It's a beautiful opportunity he has for us, but it'll take us being willing to offer what we have, like the boy who gave up his lunch. It'll take us being willing to be disciples who do whatever he says, even when we have a need. Put others first to step in obedience to him and see his faithfulness in response. Or it could be that just as the crowd of people hungering and longing for him, you come before him today and you ask him for more. I don't know what that thing is for you. Maybe freedom from something you've struggled in, might be reconciliation in a relationship, but I invite you to declare your personal, ask for more, and your offer of more corporately alongside the church family. Beth and I, our family, are all in on this. We invite you to join us in being generous with God. 100% engagement is our hope, but what that looks like, the amount, that's for you to work out with God. But we're asking our entire church family to step in faithfulness so that we can fully see God's faithfulness in response. So in each of our campus spaces, we have an opportunity to do this, Campus leadership will give you your specific instructions on how and when to move, but there's an opportunity to offer a corporate more and an opportunity to ask for a personal more. And I hope you take the opportunity to move among the Heritage family today. If you're a leader who's already declared your more, maybe you've been in another space, you've done it online, I encourage you to fill out the card. Go ahead and walk alongside the church today. Fill it out, put duplicate on it, write change if you need to increase or decrease the commitment, but take part alongside the rest of the church family today. Because corporately, we're, we're saying to him that we trust him, that we walk by faith with him, and we desire to see the more he has for us. So I'm going to pray. I'm actually going to pray a prayer that we started this journey with. It comes right out of Ephesians 3. I want to end our More Together conversation as we launch into this next season in the same way we started, by praying this prayer that Paul prayed. And I invite you to pray with me and then stay in a posture of prayer and follow the invitation of your campus leadership as we step into declaring the more. It's something we get to do. It's a privilege. It's a pleasure for us to step into cheerfully giving as God asks us to give. So I invite you to do so today, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, for this reason I kneel before you from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray out of your glorious riches that you may strengthen us with your power through your Holy Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that each of us, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we each may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of you, Lord Jesus. So now to you who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you be glory in the church, to you be glory in your son Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen.